Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome into Power Rankers. Austin Gale here, finally back with Jason Goff. I have in my introduction notes here. I write notes pretty vigorously. I think you know that. Yes, Where sir. the hell were you? You left me with James Jones. James Jones was recording his freaking Zoom on his phone. I, it was a disaster. I had to talk to Steve Ruiz for 30 minutes. You're going to leave me stranded on an island? Where the hell were you? <laughs> Welcome to what my life was last year with James Jones <laughs> and Ryan Shazier. Those are my guys. But I've, I've done Zooms where James Jones was getting into an Uber. I've done recordings where Ryan Shazier was was doing various other things. Those are my guys. Love them to death. But having to wrangle two former pro athletes is not easy. So I do not uh I do not envy the task that you had to succumb to last couple of weeks. But COVID kept me out. Uh, and I'm back better than ever, ready to talk about what the hell is going on in this NFL that we know and love. Back and reborn, Jason Goff. James Jones did throw you some slight. He's like, bring me on every week. Jason's not that great. So I, I do love, I do love <laughs> hey, me. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. I am not mad if I get replaced by a better man or woman. I'm not mad at it at all. It's better for the team if the upgrade happens. I don't believe James Jones is an upgrade, to be honest with you. I mean, he's a nice guy and all cut a couple touchdown passes for the Packers and the Raiders. I'm sure you guys had to talk about that at some point. But other than that, you know, he's a running the mill guy, if you ask me. It's, it's, it's truly a, a <laughs> Mac jo- uh, it's truly a Mac Jones versus Bailey Zappi situation. I don't nah, know who's who, but we'll don't figure do it out. That. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's get into the thick of it here. Power rankings every single week for me is tough. I have to deal with people sending me death threats in the DMs. I'm too low on the yeah. Giants. I'm too low on the Jets. But the bigger issue, and we were talking about this before we started recording, who's the third best team in the NFL? I don't know. Is it, I mean, I guess you could put the Eagles there. Maybe let's call the top three the Chiefs the Bills and the Eagles in any order you want. Honestly, I think, you know, the chiefs and the bills are fantastic. They have the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. The Eagles are the most complete team in the NFL. Betting markets simply have it as this. The bills are the favorite to go to the Super Bowl in the AFC and the Eagles, the favorite to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC. And it's not really close outside of the chiefs. The chiefs are that other team that could get flirty and join, um, you know, the, the Eagles in the playoffs. Who's the fourth best team in the NFL. I have it as the Ravens. It could be the Vikings. Is it the Bengals? Is it the giants? Is it the Jets? Don't you dare. I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) I want to start here. I want to start here. Honestly, who is, who would you put right now? If you were writing this article every week, if you had the byline every week, who are you putting it forth? Cause I don't know what to do. 
AG, I don't know where to go with this because I'm damn sure not going to put the Giants or the Jets in the top three or top exactly. four. It can't happen. Not two teams that are the, the, whose passing offenses are as anemic as theirs. I understand the EPA, the, the drop back pass, and all the, the big plays that Daniel Jones has gotten with his legs lately. And Zach Wilson, of course, we'll see what James Robinson is going to do now that Brees Hall is out. That's a big part of their offense. But I, I, I'm squirmish, but do you go Vikings, right? Do you go Cowboys now that Cooper Rush is back on the bench where he belongs? I have no idea who the third best team or the fourth now best team is in the NFL. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Chiefs, Bills, Eagles, and whatever way that you want to jumble them up from week to week. Uh, teams sliding and gliding with bye weeks. So, you know, you can't can't really you know have anything to go off of if you're talking about the Bills or the Chiefs. But I'm sorry, the Bills or the Eagles. But if, if you want to tell me the Vikings, that defense has to get a little bit better for me to truly believe. Giants and Jets, like we mentioned, their quarterback situations and straight the schedule for the Giants. I mean, they, they beat who they had in front of them, but I don't trust any Daniel Jones-led team, and this year is not going to make me feel any different. It, it, it might have to be the Cowboys and the defense that yeah. they've played, even though the, the offense that they've gone up against, I mean, you, you've got your Miami in there, but they've gone up against some pedestrian offenses as well. And then you got the Bengals and the Titans who are jumping up there. Don't forget the Ravens. So it's, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be a back and forth for who that third or fourth best team is for the rest of the way here in the next 10 weeks of football that we have. Really quickly, and I want to get to the team of the week. I want to get into the original segments of this show, but I, I think this conversation is really captivating in that who is the fourth best team in the NFL? I'm going to talk about the Eagles a little bit later. I have a hot take for you to, digress, okay. to, to, to dive into, but I, here's my case for the Baltimore Ravens. They've led by double digits in every game they've played this season. Now, have they won every game? No, they have three losses where they trailed for a combined two minutes. They've collapsed, outright collapsed late in games. Some of that's Lamar Jackson. You could say some of that's John Harbaugh. Like, there are some, you know, Jim Harbaugh, there are some reasons why, there are multiple reasons why this team has collapsed late in games. I think Lamar Jackson's EPA per dropback in the first half is top 10. His EPA per dropback in the second half is bottom five. Like, they Mm -hmm. fall off in the second half, whether that's Greg Roman, Jackson, Harbaugh, whoever you want to blame. But any team that's leading by double digits in every game they play is a team I'm going to trust. Is a team that in the postseason I know can put up points and get out to leads better than anyone. When you compare that to the Giants, every win they've had this year has been one score. You know, <laughs> like they, they like they are fighting, fighting to win yeah. games. The Giants, the Giants have a minus point differential in the first three quarters of games. They have been leading going into the first half in one game this year. They have the best point differential in the fourth quarter, right? Like they, they light it up in the fourth quarter. Yeah. They figure it out in the fourth quarter, which is great and which is hard to do. And all those things give credit to Dayball. They're a top 10 team in my power rankings because of how they've found ways to win football games. And I think that's a tip of the cap to Wink Martindale. It's a tip of the cap to Dayball. And it's a tip of the cap to Daniel Jones, who's driving in this system with a practice squad receiving core. All right, let me get to my team of the week, though. Team of the week is not the Baltimore Ravens, who are currently the favorite on FanDuel to win the AFC North. It is the second team in that division. It's the Cincinnati Bengals, who are coming off an outright dominant display against the Atlanta Falcons. They win that game 35-17 in Week 7. No Casey Hayward in this game. And A.J. Terrell, I believe, left with an injury in the first or second quarter. And then it was a fireworks show. Joe Burrow, 34-42 for 481 and three touchdowns. Jamar Chase... 130 yards, Tyler Boyd, 155, T. Higgins, 93. This is the offense that can take the Bengals to another Super Bowl. Because when you have these three receivers, Boyd, Chase, and Higgins, and Burrow playing like he is out of the shotgun, they're running more shotgun, they're having more success running the ball in early downs. This is a Cincinnati Bengals team I'm willing to back as a deep postseason contender. They found it over the last two weeks. No quarterback in football has been more efficient from an EPA per dropback perspective than Joe Burrow over the last two weeks. And what has happened? 
They've run a lot more shotgun, and they've had a lot more success running the football out of shotgun looks, running more RPOs and those things. Will Zach Taylor get figured out down the road? Probably. Like you can't. The simple answer is like, let's run more shotgun, and we're the best team in the NFL. That's not the case. Teams are going to adjust. Things are going to change. But still, this Bengals team, this two-game stretch where we've seen Burrow light it up is such a positive sign for the Cincinnati Bengals, who lost to the Steelers in Week 1 and lost to the Cowboys in Week 2. Like They did not play good football to start this year. They're bouncing back 4-3 and three on the season, second in the division. To, to win that division according to FanDuel odds. And I think, honestly, a deep postseason contender with how much better this offense has looked. I mean, you have to put them right there because we don't know what the rest of the NFL or the second tier of the NFL is going to be by the end of the season, right? But around now is when we start to figure out who everyone is, and the NFL is late with that deadline, and it's going to continue to be late, so go with the people you know. I'm glad you mentioned the shotgun uh, aspect of uh, the offense, not just running the football, but also understanding that Joe Burrow's taking a a whole bunch of hits over these last couple of years, so allowing him to see what's happening pre-snap, allowing him to check out of things. He's got control of the offense in his second year, in it now. And I also, I mean, they got the best wide receiver core in the NFL right now, going with Tyler Board, Jamar Chase, and of course T. Higgins. You got two guys who could be number one and arguably one of the best slot receivers in the game in Tyler Boyd. I I I I think that they are ready for a long run offensively. Defensively, just hold down the fort, right? Vaughn Bell was making all the plays early on in the season. The, the, the turnovers, you know, if they keep getting the ball back, you, it can kind of be like a Chiefs situation over the last three or four years where it's like, hey, we're not, we're not out here trying to shut people down to 15, 14 points a game. We're trying to take the ball away and give it back to the quarterback that we got that we know is better than yours. And if Cincinnati can continue to do that, they did what they were supposed to do against the Atlanta Falcons, right? One of the worst defenses in the game. Of course, A.J. Terrell goes down that's one of the better defenders in the game. So when that happens, you got uh, a Falcons defense that's bereft, really, of talent. You're supposed to march up and down the field and them get right, feel good about yourself, keep your quarterback upright. But I, I will I will jump on that angle with you. The shotgun snaps, not just out of the run game, but allowing Joe Burrow to see what's happening around him and you know getting that confidence going, just like any quarterback. He needs rhythm, he needs confidence, he needs to stay upright, and he needs to get rid of the football. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks. I, I don't think you can say, oh man, they pivot, pivoted to shotgun and, and Zach Taylor has found it and this, this team is unstoppable. But what you can say is Zach Taylor has adjusted, which is something mm-hmm. he has refused to do for a long time. Like he runs the ball in early downs at a high rate. He hasn't done that over the last two weeks. He wants to run out of center. He wants to run play action. He hasn't done that over the last two weeks. Doing something you don't want to do philosophically is the sign of a phenomenal head coach, right? And you need multiple opportunities to do that. You need to show that over multiple years, multiple games, multiple game plans, et cetera. But that is, I think, the start of like coaches that we call good in the NFL. It's like, oh man, adapt your scheme to the players. Like Dayball, who ran a bunch of spread concepts, a bunch of downfield passing stuff. He goes to the Giants. He's like, none of our receivers get open and our quarterbacks kind of stinks. Let's run something completely different. Condensed splits, a ton of tight ends. Let's run the ball. Let's run some wildcat. Let's get Mm -hmm. Saquon Barkley unlocked. Let's do this. That when a coach who has this philosophy, has this like scheme that he wants to run, scheme he has a lot of experience with and, and success with, when he says, wait a second, I can't do it with these guys. I'm going to do something differently. That's such a huge win. Like they, it's, it's one of the more underrated things in the NFL. It's like coaches that can do that. Coaches that can say, hey, the thing I like to do won't work with these players. I'm going to do something differently. That's the sign of coaching success. That's the sign of like good, another good example. We're going to talk about them later. The Bears, last night, Eberflus, the Bears have refused to run quarterback design runs. Refused, absolutely refused with Justin Fields. He has, I think, 38 in his career in 18 games. He had 12 last night on Monday Night Football, and they had a lot of success. I think it was 27 yards over mm-hmm. expectation according to next-gen stats. Like That is 
adapting to something. I don't really want to do this. I don't want to do this as an offense, but Justin Fields is good at it. Let's try it. And that, I think, is a huge win for the Bears, and that's also a huge win for Cincinnati. I think you have to tip your cap to Zach Taylor. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned the, the Giants again with the Brian Dayball situation because in baseball, there's a stat called BABIP, right? And there's a hundred thousand stats, of course, in baseball and a lot of analytics for you to pour over. But it is batting average against balls in play. And usually everybody's average normalizes out to 300 because you get you get yourself a, a decent sample size. Well, for this team, and as, I'm glad you mentioned the the, the margin. Uh, the the win differential because in the yeah. fourth quarter is when they turn on, but they their margin for error is so slim that at some point because of the sample size, we're only seven games in. Some of these games are going to start to go the other way, right? So you do it while you're healthy with Saquon Barkley, you do it while you've got the confidence with Daniel Jones. But as the war of attrition as we see that these NFL seasons are, and you start to they're starting already to have some issues on the offensive line injury wise, right? You throw into a bunch of special teamers out there at wide receiver, and you're hoping that your money player at some point decides to, to, to play some football, but yeah. I can't count on this being this slim a margin for error and their talent making up for it. So, Brian yeah. Dayball, you know, you talk about Pete Carroll might be the, the runner-up for Coach of the Year, what he's done in Seattle. Brian Dayball is 6-1 and one with this squad. All they got to do is win half the rest of their games and they're in the playoffs. You know, I think 11-6 yeah. and six will get you in this year in the NFC. So, um, what they've done early, I don't know if it's sustainable, but good coaching will get you win especially in late game situations and they play terrific situational football haven't beat themselves and Daniel Jones is actually being used like a running quarterback and and you know, it, it, you know kudos like you mentioned to to coaches who get hired for a specific thing and say oh shit I got to switch things up because <laughs> I might get fired for this specific thing because the the raw materials that I had in my previous stop I don't have here I think you can see that a lot around the NFL I think that's why there's that jumble of mediocrity because the better coaches are getting things out of players and teams that they shouldn't get things out of. Never thought I'd say this, but Eberflus outcoached Belichick last night. Yeah, that was, you, you talk yeah, about you talk about better coaches. My goodness, I, I want to let you go off on the Bears a little bit later. I have them pinned <laughs> in the segment here. But last thing I'll mention on the Giants: they're minus two seventy to make the playoffs right now. That is, you know, that is that is a big testament to how many wins they have right now. Six and one. Yeah. You could you could argue that oh they shouldn't have won. You know, the ball didn't. Literally against the Jacksonville Jaguars, if Christian Kirk goes one more yard, they score and they probably kick the PAT and they lose. Like there's a lot of balls that bounce their way to get to six and one, but they're six and one, and that matters. Records matter when you talk about playoff odds and those things. I know I've talked about on this show about how wins are overrated, all those things. We're not going to bring that yeah. up, but yeah. we're not. But I think when you're six and one, that's going to help your playoff odds. They're minus two seventy right now. And to clarify that stat, they rank twenty fourth in point differential through the first three quarters. Minus 16 in the first three quarters. They've only led in the second half, or they've only led going into the first quarter, fourth quarter, I think, once this year. Now in the fourth quarter, they rank second in point differential behind the New York Jets. The Jets and the Giants, man, the cardiac killers. All right, my biggest mover this week. I'm from Oakland, and I don't talk positively about this team a lot. And I know they're in Vegas now. I don't care. Las Vegas Raiders, man. Can I read you a stat that I think is going to blow you away? The second best offense in EPA per drive this year is the Las Vegas Raiders. And they have two wins. They have two wins. Derek Carr has very quietly, very quietly, been one of the better quarterbacks this year in a sea of mediocrity and a sea of where we don't know who's good and we don't know who's, you know who's bad. Derek Carr has been very good. Very, very good. Now, it hasn't translated to wins. I think some of that's on McDaniels, obviously. And a lot of that's on this defense. This defense yes. ranks, ranks 30th 
in yards allowed per drive. They rank bottom 10 in forcing three and outs. Like, they are a bad, bad defense. The pass rush isn't getting there outside of Max Crosby. The secondary, I don't even know if you could name the starting secondary for the Las Vegas Raiders right now. Like, they, last week they started Anthony Avery on the outside. They had Meek Robertson in the slot. Deron Harmon playing safety. They do not have the guys on the back end. Even that linebacker, they, Blake Martinez got cut, and then they brought then they bring in Blake Martinez, Martinez, and he's already starting for this team. This is not a talented defense. Marquee talent is not on this defense, and they're struggling because of it. But offensively, the number two offense in EPA per drive this season. Josh Jacobs has over 140 yards, rushing yards in three consecutive games. He leads the league in rushing yards since week four and yards per carry at 6.39. Like He has been phenomenal. Derek Carr has been very quietly excellent this season. The Devontae Adams stuff, You've seen him frustrated. You saw him push that photographer, whatever it was, because they're losing. But it's not because this offense is wholesale struggling. The second best offense in the NFL in EPA per drive behind the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs are in a whole different level. I think they double what the Las Vegas Raiders doing, the second place Mm -hmm. team in EPA per drive. But still, this Raiders offense is good. I've moved them from number 27 in my rankings to number 19, which is a big jump, but I think I was too low on them before because they haven't won a lot of football games. This offense, I think, is good enough. Devontae Adams is good enough. Derek Carr is good enough to be a sneaky back-end wild-card potential team. I think they're a long-shot playoff hopeful because they have not won a lot of games to start the season, but they could go on a run here. Next four opponents, Saints, Jaguars, Colts, Broncos. They could win all those games, potentially. I think this is a good team. I think they could be moving forward into that sneaky wild-card race. They, we thought, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, I thought that they would be at the bottom of the division because I thought the division would be a nutcracker looking at it right now. You got the Chargers who are underwhelming and falling below expectations because of coaching and also injuries. You've got Denver who's underwhelmed and falling below expectations because of coaching and now injuries with the hamstring of Russell Wilson at the quarterback position and before that he wasn't playing well. And, and as you mentioned, I believe they got the 26 overall defense and yards allowed. Um, yeah. You can move up and down the field on the on the Las Vegas Raiders and outside of Chandler Jones and Max Crosby if you could shore up that situation and they're not getting pressure with four they don't have blitzing linebackers they don't have dynamic linebackers behind those four guys and in the secondary as you mentioned Jonathan Abram has been a little bit of a bust right I mean you look back and take a look at that Khalil Mack trade where they get the, the three or four first round picks a lot of those guys a couple of Khalil Farrell is is holding on by a straw in the NFL and Jonathan Abram they're talking about not re-extending him and and at the quarterback position. I mean, Rocky Sin is a decent player. Anthony Averitt, like you mentioned, used to be very good. Now, not so much. I mean, they've got they got a, a mix of youth and ineffectiveness on the defensive side of the football yeah. that does not rely wins. And Josh McDaniel is going to take care of the offensive side. So, I expected them to put up points, especially with the addition of Devontae Adams. It's just, I didn't expect a lot from them this year coming into it because of the division and the fact that the division is kind of shaped down to what it has been. It's still waiting on them. They can still going to run obviously it's still early enough in the season it's just where what's their identity offensively because we've seen this happen with Josh Jacobs teams over the last couple of years where it's like okay when he's not hurt how much do you pound him and then when you do pound him do you kind of forget about him after a while how much will Josh McDaniels keep uh, Josh Jacobs a part of this offense you know when yeah. they're winning when they're losing not steering away from the running game how much does he trust Carr how much does he want to get that Devontae Adams Carr relationship going and humming to where they're an unstoppable force, but how the running game, how much does Josh McDaniels continue to run the football after they have success? It's a great call out, right? I think there's a lot of reasons to doubt the consistency of this team, especially against yeah. better competition as they move forward. And I think so much of that is, is some of the stuff that you hinted, hint, hit, hit on is that there's such a polarization or a 
uh, you know, micro-saturation of talent on this team. It's Derek Carr, it's Devontae Adams, it's Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, and that's kind of it, right? Like, right. everything, the offensive line outside of Colt Miller is really struggling. The defensive line outside of Max Crosby is really struggling. The secondary, really, like, there are a lot of holes in this roster, and it's why I doubted this team preseason. But, Derek, all you need to win against Houston, or even some of these teams they have coming on their schedule, Saints, Jacksonville, Denver, is Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, and Jacobs to really cook. And if they could cook offensively like they have, you know, like they have on average throughout the season, this is a team that should not be two and four. They should, they, they, the, the clap, if they didn't lose against the Arizona Cardinals in overtime, where yeah. the Cardinals came back 16 points in the fourth quarter, they're three and four and, and probably have playoff odds that are closer to even money right now at this point in the season. But they and, started the season 0-3. And the Saints going to give it to you too, right? Exactly. Like you mentioned exactly. the, you, the Saints and Browns going to give you ample opportunities to, to score on them. And who would have thought yep. we'd be saying that about the Browns with the defensive <laughs> personnel they have? But for whatever reason, on the back end, they can't stop the pass either with Miles Garrett and those pass rushes they have. So the, the Raiders, they got themselves a nice little stretch here offensively, like yep. you mentioned, where they can get well. I, I've renamed this next segment since you were gone. I, I made some changes to the, to the podcast here. Okay. Uh, instead of the too high, too low, I put it, I, I renamed it to, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah. I, I have, I have a take to start here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, the, the first team I'm going to start with, which is essentially like I'm saying, am I too high on this? I don't really know what I'm doing. Am I, Jason Goff, too Uh-oh. high? on the Philadelphia Eagles at number two. Should the, and the only reason I bring this up, only reason I bring this up, is should the Chiefs actually be number two? Best offense in the NFL, more than double with the second best team. I already brought up that stat. More than double what the second best team, the Las Vegas Raiders, are doing in the EPA per drive. They are dominant by every sense of the word offensively. They have the, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL, if not number two behind Josh Allen. And I bet on that in the postseason. They won't play them in the postseason. Obviously, they're in different conferences, but I am I wrong to have the Chiefs behind a Philadelphia Eagles team that, yes, had a blazing three-week start to the season, but since week four, rank only 12th in EPA per drive, 25th in explosive play rate, 9th in offensive success rate, and 30th in yards per play. Jalen Hurts, 15th in EPA per dropback. The defense is still insane. Top three in every metric you look at over any stretch of the season, but the offense hasn't been as good as it did for the first three weeks of the year. Jalen Hurts hasn't been as good as he looked for the first three weeks of the year. They're still winning because it's so much complimentary football. The run game's doing well. The offensive line is surviving injuries and the defense is is top-notch. But am I wrong to have them at two ahead of the Chiefs? I wouldn't drop them any lower than three. I think that would be absolutely foolish. But am I Mm -hmm. too high on the Eagles just by a hair and have them over the Chiefs? No, I'm with you right there at two. Uh, I think okay. what they do, not just on the offensive defensive line, like I don't know if there's a better combo unit on the line of scrimmage outside of maybe Buffalo, right? And I, I'm willing to put, I'm willing to put the Eagles' offensive line right there with Buffalo's offensive line. To be honest with you, I think the difference between the Chiefs and the Eagles, obviously the quarterback position, right? Patrick Mahomes yeah. is a, a, a generational talent. Uh, the throw that he made against San Francisco, where it's a sidewinder, it's a weird window. He's going to his left, and the, he's throwing back shoulder to Miko Hardman and it's like how did that ball get there like he's he's Jordan in football cleats out here so that's the distinct difference right Jalen Hurts no knock on him we've seen his ascension this year good for him but when it comes to team differences the way they run the football like, you know, the Isaiah Pacheco fan club that that sprouted out, uh, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season out there was rightfully so. It's like, OK, change of pace, little bowling ball back. They don't give him the football that often. Right. And, and then Clyde Edwards Hilaire, since he's come out of LSU, you know, he's made plays, but he's not 
you know, he's not the guy that you're going to give the ball and say, here's your 22, 23 touches. Go make something happen. I think with what the Philadelphia Eagles presented, the, the running back position with Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, and even Boston Scott, like they do enough that I don't have to worry about can they get five yards on a second and six, right, to, to, to stay on schedule and, and, and make that play action game that much more powerful. Yeah, you're not sitting back pinning your ears back playing the Philadelphia Eagles. One, you may not get there because of the offensive line. Two, they do enough in the running game to keep you off schedule. I think the Chiefs understand that they don't really have to run the ball well for them to put up big numbers. And I think that's the only difference when we get, and, and we've seen the Chiefs do this in, in cold weather. We've seen them do it in warm weather. We've seen them do it in bad weather and great weather. So I just think the difference is, is that the lines of scrimmage defensively and, and offensively, I, I'll give the Eagles the, the nod and the running game. I'll give the Eagles the nod. Other than that, you know, like we mentioned, you know, there's Steve Spagnuolo and those boys. They, they, they play defense a different way. They're trying to take the football away from you and give it back to the quarterback. They're not worried about yards and, and back-breaking plays and all that. So I, I, I'd have them a hair ahead of the, of the Kansas City Chiefs, but just a hair. Like, it's 2A, yeah. 2B right now for me and those two teams. I think the, the the final reason I'd give the Eagles the edge, and I know I brought up a ton of stats on why they've been less than elite, at least like you know, more middle of the pack yeah, in terms of offense. Over, <laughs> yeah, it, the, 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 the thing that I think keeps me from putting them at three is valuing completeness over eliteness, right? This is a more complete football team. If Jordan right. Mailata gets hurt, as he has, they still can survive. If their other tackle, Lane Johnson, gets hurt, they've proven they still can survive. I argue that if even A.J. Brown gets hurt, they can find ways to win football games with how Nick Sirianni is coaching up this team and how, how malleable the offense is and how the defense is still top three by every metric you look at. And if Jalen Hurts you know, struggles a bit or puts him in a bad spot, throws an interception, they can get those things back. The run game with the offensive line with Kenneth Gainwell and Miles Sanders can, can step up and make plays. And I think that complimentary, complete football that the Eagles are playing will help them for the rest of the season. They're minus 270 to be the number one seed in the NFC. A glaring favorite. The next best team is plus, six, plus 600, according to Fandle. Like They're going to have the bye, I think. They're going to have the bye in the NFC, and that's going to help them, obviously, on their road to the postseason. Whereas the Chiefs, not guaranteed the bye. Obviously, the Buffalo Bills are the favorite there. And this is a team that's more predicated on eliteness rather than completeness. And the eliteness is Patrick Mahomes. The receiving core is not elite. The offensive line is not elite. Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in football, but that's really, really where the eliteness stops. Defensively, there isn't a lot of elite talent on this defense. I think I'd give the edge to Andy Reid over Sirianni in terms of mm-hmm. coaching. But still, still, I don't think it's that big of an edge. So I, right. I'm leaning Eagles as well. It's why the Eagles are number two. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
and listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash ringer NFL. Just go to indeed.com slash ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next team on my list of, I don't know what I'm doing. And I think you're going to kill me for this. I think you're going to kill me for this. I still have the Los Angeles Chargers at 10. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Kill I'm sorry. Kill, kill me first and then I'll give my reasoning. Kill me first. Well, the, the Los Angeles Chargers just won. They've been, they've been injury riddled. Don't get me wrong. But I'm sorry, man. There's way too many names on this team for me to see week after week. These, like you mentioned, with the complete performances with the Philadelphia Eagles, I see the exact opposite when it comes to the Los Angeles Chargers. You see a boom play here and there. And, and of course, you know, how hurt is Justin Herbert, right? Because we haven't seen the Justin Herbert that we saw before the ribs. And, and if he's banged up to the point where you got to start relying not just on Austin Eckler, but short passing game. I mean, when's the last time we saw big plays out of this Chargers offense? Now you got Mike Williams on the men. Keenan Allen is always in and out of the lineup. He's all, you know, last couple of years, he's been hurt a lot. Um, you know, are you counting on Jared, Jared, Gerald Everett at the tight end position? They just don't make enough plays down the field for teams have to, to respect having to respect them. And then all of a sudden you got guys creeping up. Austin Eckler is a terrific player, but is Austin Eckler a box breaker? Is he a guy that you can just say, hey, they go eight in the box. Go ahead and get your four or five yards and we're going to pound this game out. I don't think he's that guy. He's an out of the backfield threat, a guy who can catch the football, a guy who could do numerous things, Very a great variable out of the backfield. But when it comes down to loading it up, especially with how close defenses are, are asked now to play because the Chargers and Brandon Staley ain't going to affect you down the field. I just don't, uh, for right now, I don't believe it. Maybe four weeks from now, three weeks from now, if things start to turn around, they get a little bit healthy at the wide receiver position. Maybe, just maybe. But right now, I don't believe it. We talk a lot about Odell Beckham Jr. with the Bills and with the Packers and with the Chiefs. Odell Beckham Jr., if he wanted to stay in L.A., could do a big, big world of help for that Chargers offense because they have nothing that scares me downfield right now, especially if you got two jump ball receivers when healthy and Keenan Allen and, of course, Mike Williams. Right now, nothing is, is stretching the field in that intermediate game to, to deep game. Vibes are down at SoFi Stadium. and I, I'm here in L.A. I, I can smell it. You know, I can smell the Chargers. The few Chargers fans smell that are here vibes. are down. But still, let me, let, me, let, me, let me now defend myself. Let me counterpunch here. Right. Chargers are still 4-3. and three. I know they just lost 37-23 to Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks at home. Kenneth Walker went for 168 and two touchdowns as a rookie at Michigan State. Run game still, run defense is still horrendous. They let Marquise Goodwin get two touchdowns behind them. JC Jackson gets hurt in this game. Like, there's a lot of reason for vibes to be low, but they're still four and three, and they're minus 152 on Fandle to make the playoffs for good reason, right? This is still a talented football team. They still have talent at several places. Now, I will say this about the Los Angeles Chargers adapt or die. Absolutely adapt or die. Right now, Eduardo, I want you to play some sirens. Some sirens, because someone's getting arrested. And it's Joe Lombardi. <laughs> Joe Lombardi, Joe Lombardi is 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 calling stick routes and, and, and things near the line of scrimmage at a higher rate than any team in the NFL. That's an unofficial stat, but when you look at this Chargers team, their average depth of target with Justin Herbert, 
is 30th in the NFL. And you can make excuses for the offensive line. You can make excuses for the receiving core. The New York football giants have a higher average depth of target than the Los Angeles Chargers, and they have a practice squad receiving core. I'm so done with excuses, by the way. I'm so done with anybody bringing up, oh, the receivers aren't good in Green Bay. That's why Aaron Rodgers struggling. Oh, t- Tom Brady's not really handling, you know, Mike Evans and the Kevin. Stop. Stop making excuses in a league where Brian Dayball has the Giants at 6-1 and one and they don't have any receiver by name. Like, this is a league where you have to adapt or die. You can argue that they don't have speed. Do something different. Do something different. This Chargers team, every single week, their average shift to target on early downs is last in the NFL. They are not getting any success, any explosive plays, any first downs on first and second down. They are struggling to do so. They faced more third downs than any other team in the NFL. They're getting to third down too often. Third downs are volatile. It's hard to win on third down consistently. Play call comes into situation. Execution, you're you're, you're relying on one play for execution and the play call to hit. And it's not hitting. When you do, when you, when you have to cross the bridge that many times, eventually you're going to fall off, right? It's, 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 it's it's too, too often they're getting to third down because they have no explosiveness, no explosive play calling, no explosive plays on early downs and that is Lombardi for those sirens like he is not calling those plays now is it all on Lombardi no Justin Herbert should play better he played one of the worst games I saw of his career that interception to Ryan Neal was a disaster Brandon Staley I think has to adapt a little bit better in how he's being aggressive on these four downs and doing those things like everyone is to blame the receiving core who they started Michael Bandy DeAndre Carter and Mike Williams in this game, Keenan Allen only played the first half because he's still banged up. Like, this is a team that is struggling and has excuses. I get that. The receivers are banged up. The injuries are there. All that stuff. But you have to adapt. You have to adapt or you're going to die. Like, you're going to die. You're not going to make the playoffs, Brandon Staley. You're not going to have the success that you want to have with Justin Herbert. And I get he's hurt. Just keep making these excuses. I'm fine with it. I'm done with the excuses. You have to change. If Justin Herbert's struggling with the rib injury, change. If the receivers aren't getting open and you have to, you, you, you have to call um, um, and you're calling shorter plays because of it, change because it's not working. I think you just need to see Lombardi, Stale, and Herbert play a different game because the game they're playing right now is not going to get them to the postseason and not going to lead to postseason success. And also, uh, before we move on, you know, we talked a lot. And anytime this guy is absent, we bring it up in San Francisco, and that's Trent Williams, right? Rashawn yeah. Slater, I think, proved not only his worth last year, but this year with the biceps injury, I think his worth is being proven even more because that offensive line is a lot different when you've got an all pro over there, left tackle, as young as he is out of Northwestern, as opposed to, you know, Jamari Salyer and, and, and a couple of these young boys that they're throwing out there, left tackle. And, that, and that's not to mention they got another rookie on the offensive line, Zion Johnson, who is going to yeah. be a player, I believe, but is still a rookie. You know, he's, he's been up and down. So um, they're being thrown to the fire right now. And, and if you can't block it, you can't run it. And if, and if they can't block it, the stick routes and the curls and the drags is going to be 10 and in. And that's how defense is going to win going forward until Justin and, and on top of it you got a guy with bad ribs right it's not like yeah. he's a completely healthy quarterback who can sit in there and take mouth shot after mouth shot you got an injured quarterback and a left tackle who isn't there that you that you put a lot of investment into going forward so the, the Chargers are in a tough way right now they're going to have to they have to figure out these next few weeks and kind of remake their identity I guess that's the theme yeah. of this pod this yeah. week is, exactly. is, is teams remaking themselves and coaches doing what they need to do to get the best out of these players I, I hate I hate to keep bringing up the Giants because I think it's I'm, I'm beating a dead horse at this point. But like <laughs> they are they Eberflus they are examples of coaches that are not too stubborn to change what they do offensively. I think everyone on this podcast network, Solak Ruiz, Nora have brought up that Lombardi is trying to call plays for a 44 year old Drew Brees, but he has a you know 24 year old Justin <laughs> Herbert with a good arm. Like everyone has brought that up. It's not about what you do. 
It's about how you change. Like you have to say, okay, because I hear your excuses again. The, the, the rib injury, Rashawn Slater's out, the receivers aren't fast. Stop. Stop. There are bigger excuses around the league, and there are teams that are winning more football games because of it, because they're willing to change, because they're not willing, you know, not, not stubborn in, in their way. So I, I do hope that the Chargers do kind of rediscover an identity here and find ways to win without Rashawn Slater, win without a fast receiving core, because they have a damn good quarterback. They have a damn good quarterback with talent on the defense side of the ball. I know Bosa has been hurt. I know J.C. Jackson now going to miss the rest of the season, but you find ways. You find ways if you're a good coach. You find ways with the players that you have. All right. Last team in this, I don't know what I'm doing. And I put, I kind of had a segment within a segment here. I had the Jason go off. I know your last name's Goff, so it's G-O hyphen off. Jason go off. Talk to me (laughs) about why the Chicago Bears, who are three and four on the season, coming Uh off an outclassing of Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football on primetime, where Justin Fields playing a lot better, running more design runs. Why should they be higher on my list than 23rd? Because I think that's a little low. Tell me why they should be higher. You know, I think that might be right around the way the the, the area okay, they good, need good. to be in. I, I, there's still a team that is playing what twenty guys who are either first or second year players. This is what the youngest team in the NFL. And what happened on Monday Night Football was they stopped taking the punishment and started inflicting some. All right, this is the, the first five weeks of this season, six weeks of this season. They've been able to run the football. It's just. Can they have any semblance of a passing offense to kind of keep some kind of balance and keep a defense honest? Well, what they did was move the Patriots off the football from word one. Like the moment that game started, you could tell that there was 11 days worth of game planning in terms of getting them big, fat, nasties running each way. They had to cover not only horizontally, but vertically as well. So I'm not mad at what I saw out of Lou Getze. And we've been begging for it here in Chicago for a, a month and a half now. Design run for the quarterback. The man's taking so much punishment out there. Let him pick and choose when that punishment is going to happen and let him inflict some punishment as well. It's not like this is some spindly, like it's not like Lamar out there where Lamar doesn't take a lot of hits, but also Lamar Jackson is what, 205 pounds soaking wet, something like that. This dude's 225 pounds, six foot three. Allow him to kind of navigate. The 12 quarterback runs that were designed all yielded something, right? You all, and, and this is the other thing too. Having a young quarterback gain some confidence is the only way that you can truly evaluate. Like these scramble plays and him executing above and off script, that's cool. But after a while, you need to be on schedule, second and six situations. This is the situation you put yourself in. What can we run for you? And we finally got a chance to see Justin Fields be in a semi-coordinated offense for an entire stretch of football. Not the second half versus Minnesota, right? Not last year versus Pittsburgh in the second half. Like, from from the, the first drive to the last drive, this is what we're going to do, and hopefully they don't take it away too much. This is the thing that, that was so glaring to me. Bill Belichick went off for seven minutes in his pregame press conference about the Chicago Bears and mentioned all yeah. of the things. That, and usually when he does this, it's telling you, hey, these are the things I'm getting ready to shut the fuck down. This, this is the stuff that you guys cannot do against us. And, and I'm going to extol the virtues of, of backup players and special teamers. All those players kicked the Patriots' ass on Monday Night Football. Every single one of them. There was not a moment where it was the two drives where Bailey Zappi came in and they scored. Other than that, there was not a moment where I was like, oh, this this game is firmly in the hands of the Patriots. Justin Fields is not a bad quarterback. Justin Fields is not a good quarterback. But the formula that they were playing with and asking him to do certain things, he's not a pocket quarterback right now. 
He's a young yeah. player with legs. Get him outside of the pocket. Get him off of the launch point. Make sure that the defense can't readily locate where he's going to be at. And they try to do that mush rush, and they try to do that QB contain stuff. But you can do that all you want when you're sliding protection and saying we're going to dictate where the ball is going and what side we're going to play on, right? Whether it be left hash or right hash. I thought they did a terrific job, set the tempo, and that Bears defense is a lot better than people give it credit for, and especially in the second half. There's not been a lot of defenses that have played the way that Allen Williams' defense is played in the second half, and you saw that in that football game. It's um, it's one of those games where, you know, you got to get the six wins somehow, and and they found themselves uh, in, in a game where they got confidence and and won it, right? They've been in every single game outside of the Packers game. So, the, you know, shout out to Matt Eberflus for being the CEO of the squad and not trying to, you know, micromanage every single thing. And shout out to Luke Getzey for having some time going up against, uh, you know, one of the masters at his craft and Bill Belichick and coming out the victor. But it's a big day for Justin Fields. All the stuff that we knew was there as Bears fans, we actually got a chance to see for a full 60 minutes and not just one half or another. Benjamin Solak, a writer here at The Ringer, wrote an excellent piece today about essentially about the Colts transitioning from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger, but also looking at just how valuable mobility is at the quarterback position. And, and I think the hypothesis is, you know, the big player, not even the hypothesis, honestly, the fact is that, yes, the 40-yard bomb down the field is an explosive play. Yes, the, you know, the big strikes over the middle, the 20, 30, 40-yard gains are big plays. But the third biggest play by a quarterback is avoiding a sack and scrambling. You know, it's, it's avoiding a sack and getting out of things and, and making sure that you don't have massive negative plays on early downs that set you so far back in your play, in, in your in your play calling that allow you and, and keep you on schedule. And I think Justin Fields, his mobility was not leveraged enough, not leveraged enough by previous office coordinators and mm-hmm. even by Getsy to start the season. And now that you are seeing 12 design runs in a single game where he's had 38 design runs in his first 18 career games, that is a huge step in the right direction. And that is adapting, like we've said a thousand times on the show, adapting to your player strengths. You want to make Justin Fields a drop back passer, that's fine. But don't discredit what he's good at now. He leads the NFL non-design runs. He leads the NFL in yards on scrambles. Like, he is a good runner of the football. Let's take advantage of it. Uh, let's take advantage of it. All right. I tried to guess your game of the week like every week. His name is Lamar. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, I try to guess your game of the week every week, but I don't know what it is this week. I guess oh two. Oh, I thought it. I thought it might be the Baltimore Ravens at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that's going to be a sneaky good game. Bucks are one and a half point dogs at home. But then you also have the Bills at Packers. But the Packers are 10 and a half point dogs against the Bills. So I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do there. So I don't know if that's a it's a good game by your standards, but what what are you thinking for game of the week this week? So I want to say this. These are very this is the hardest segment of this show now because of the schedules <laughs> that we've gotten over the last three weeks, right? Uh I, I would say Bears, Cowboys, and be a homer, but who knows how the hell that thing's gonna turn out. I, I'm I'm actually looking at and and don't kill me on this one because I never thought I'd say Geno Smith versus Daniel Jones might pack him in, but strength of schedule for Seattle. They've beaten who they've had in front of them. One of the better offenses in the league, the return of Geno, right? Back to, you know, facing his old team against the New York Giants. And at some point here, like the Giants are going to mess around and be nine and one, having played nobody that we truly respect and then beating a couple of teams by close margins that we do respect. I'm, I'm going with Giants Seahawks, to be honest with you. I'm going with Geno Smith. I'm going against 
versus Daniel Jones, Pete Carroll versus Brian Dayball, old defensive, you know, curmudgeon versus Brian Dayball, the, 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 the latest offensive genius. You got Tariq Woolen out there who was vying for defensive rookie of the year along with Sauce Gardner. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that game. There's not, a, there's not a whole lot on this schedule this week that I'm really, really, really enthused about. Uh, you can go Ravens, right? You can go, you go Ravens. Uh, yeah, no, the Ravens are actually off this week. So yeah, I'm Packers, Packers, Bills, Giants, Seahawks, you know, three o'clock game. And then the Sunday night game for me, those will be the two that I'm looking forward to. The biggest spread of the week is Packers at Bills. Bills are 10 and a half point favorites. I almost have they to bet that it. just has, has, has look this up, Eduardo. I need you. But when, when is the last time Aaron Rodgers has been a 10 and a half point dog? Like this is insane. Like Aaron Rodgers isn't hurt. Like he's playing in this game. Do you think I he's good I, right now, AG? No, I, I know. I don't think he's playing well. I'm just saying this is like unprecedented. I, I, I think that, you know, I don't, I, I want to bet the 10 and a half just because it is unprecedented. He hasn't right. played well. He hasn't played well. And that's why the line is as big as it is. But the biggest line on the week is Aaron Rodgers going to Buffalo at 10 and a half. That's insane. I think the, the other sneaky game of the week, I'm glad you brought up um, uh, the, the Seahawks, Seahawks game. Seahawks are, mm-hmm. Seahawks are three, three point favorites over the Giants. I think Giants fans are, are livid at that. Now, it's hard to play in Seattle. I think it's one of the hardest stadiums to play in, especially when you're playing well. And Geno Smith has those team, that team playing well. And the Ravens aren't off. Ravens are playing the Bucs on the road as a one and a half point favorite. I think that's going to be a sneaky good game. But here's my game of the week it's, it's New England Patriots at New York Jets. The Jets have not beat the Patriots since 2015. Their last two wins over the Patriots have been 2015 or behind, and they've both been overtime. They're one and a half point dogs at home against, is it going to be Mac Jones? Is it going to be Bailey Zappi? The Patriots don't know what they're doing at quarterback. And for the Jets, Zach Wilson has really struggled at quarterback. They've been saved by a very good defense and a good running game. Brees Hall, not going to be in this game, obviously, unfortunately, missing the rest of the season due to injury. Elijah Vera Tucker, starting offensive lineman that's played multiple spots for them this season, also going to miss the rest of the season with an injury. There are concerns with this Jets team that, yes, has won a lot of football games, five and two. Here's an opportunity at home to beat the Patriots for the first time again. Like I said, since 2015, I'm looking forward to it. I think that game's going to be good as well. I'm looking forward to the NFL scheduling you know, try, being a little bit better. Like what, when these games start to get flexed, like what, what are we talking <laughs> about here? Like I, I truly... I truly don't remember a time where there were three good teams, four good teams, maybe, and the rest of the NFL trying to vie for whatever else is left, right? And that's why when we talk about Cincinnati, when we talk about Baltimore, we just pretty, pretty much pick out here who the best quarterbacks are because if yeah. everybody's the same, who's your trigger man, right? And that's why we're getting ready to talk to Steven Ruiz, you know, get those, yep. you know, those quarterback rankings recalibrated. I'm, you know, and, and as our guy Eduardo puts into the chat here, biggest underdog, the Packers have ever been with Rodgers at quarterback was eight and a half at wow. Seattle in 2014. I didn't so think Eduardo biggest... was actually going to pull that out. Eduardo yeah, stepping in I... for Carlos I... and he's putting on Carlos on watch. You, you think is, is Eduardo the Tom Brady to Carlos is Drew Bledsoe? People are asking the questions. Well, let's, 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 are... let's not, let's not go that far. You know, as I saw Eduardo <laughs> in his background just now, he had a, he had a matrixy kind of vibe going on. There's a green okay. glow. You feel me? Okay. Like we still, we still got to flesh some things out with this relationship with Eduardo. You know, CC is our guy. I want to throw him off. I, off the I, boat I'm just so saying quickly. Eduardo stepping up in a big spot here. The backup quarterback <laughs> is stepping up in a big spot. He, he could be the Bailey's athlete to our Mac Jones. I don't know. I don't know. But you met, you, you so brought up Stephen Ruiz. A short pop gun arm. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> Dude, I love last night before we get to Ruiz. Last night on the broadcast, Aikman's like, you know what he reminds me of? You know, he, he reminds me of a Bill Musgrave. I used to work with Bill, you know, used to, Bill Musgrave. Bill Musgrave, start, Bill Musgrave started one game. 
And he's never, yeah. and he never threw for over 105 yards. Like, I don't know if you really necessarily want to be making the connection, making the connection to Bill Musgrave. He Troy reminds Aikman, me if you're of a backup throw. quarterback is what he reminds <laughs> he me of. That's he what Troy was of, trying to say. He reminds me of a quarterback who started once in six years. Oh, right. sorry. Right. I, I meant to say that as a positive. Uh, anyway, uh, you brought up Steve Ruiz. Let's bring him in. We got some quarterbacks to talk through. Steve Ruiz. The quarterback rankings becomes one of my favorite pieces every single week on The Ringer because you continually have to add bad quarterbacks to it. Sam Ellinger going to get the start for Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was playing well. I'll, I'll die on this hill. Matt Ryan was playing well. He I'm was struggling you. because he's a statue and the offensive line is garbage, but he was playing well. I think he was top 10 in EPA per dropback when kept clean, but I think he was the worst quarterback when pressured, which I think is the reason why, and, and Solak wrote about this, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this too, why the Colts are pivoting from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger. But I don't want to talk about Ellinger. I don't want to make you more sad than you are. I have a little <laughs> segment here going versus the future. I want to talk about some decisions these, these teams are going to have to make who have, with quarterbacks who have played well to start, and maybe they're going to have to make, or, or played well or not well, are going to have to make some decisions down the stretch. Starting with Justin Fields in Chicago. He's playing better. The first three weeks of the season, you could argue he was the worst quarterback in the NFL. I think on this podcast, you wrote him off, essentially. Now he's playing a little bit better. What, you, what do you make of that? Does Chicago continue to commit resource to him? Do they commit to rebuilding around him? Do they commit to rebuilding around Luke Getze, Iberflus? What's going on in Chicago, and how much are you buying Fields playing better being a sustainable thing? That, that's the question, is how sustainable it is. Because what they finally have done is what people were yelling at them to do, and that's like make the offense built around Justin Fields' athleticism. They did more design runs. I can't believe it took the Bears coaching staff to watch the Ravens use Lamar Jackson against the Patriots to realize, Oh, we should use Justin Fields as a runner. I do think that changes things. My concerns with fields were never about that ability to run like boots and, and design runs. It was accuracy. He has been more accurate, but you're still seeing some misses. You're still seeing those plays where he almost finds a way to make it into a negative play. Like I'm thinking about the fumble where his knee caused the fumble. And those are the plays that continue to pop up on film and the bad misses. I, I think what he has proven, he has proven me wrong in that I should not have written him off because the physical talent is still there. And if you could put it all together and you get the right coaching staff, the right scheme, he could be a useful player. I will, I, I will take that L. I don't know if it's been enough for the Bears, assuming that they were ready to move on from him after this year, the new uh, front office. I don't think it's enough to convince them if they were skeptics of Justin Fields, but he has at least made me dial back my take on him. Oh, there it is. See, I'm, I'm see growth. This whole theme is about growth. <laughs> this pod, people changing from what they used to be to what they need to be. I always get accused of like clinging to pre-draft takes and I, I refuse to acknowledge that. I refuse to accept that L. I will change up quicker than anybody. I said Justin Herbert was a, a, like a bum at coming out of Oregon. A, a year <laughs> later, I was really? calling him. Didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't, you, didn't you also say like Jamar Chase wasn't going to be like a separator? I, I feel like you, you, you don't cling I to. I did not have Jamar cling. Chase takes out there. I did not have Jamar Chase okay. out there. Okay. I thought you were. name who we like to throw under the bus who I don't did. know. I, I, no, I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought you were. Privately, I may have thought it privately. But you never voiced it. But I never Voice, so. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were. I thought you were publicly a not a Jamar Chase fan, but I, maybe I'm misreading. Anyway, let's get off the, the, the just Justin Fields stuff and onto I think a more difficult question. Ryan Tannehill. If you look at his contract, the, the Titans can kind of like wipe their hands with Tannehill after the season and maybe look at a new direction. I'm not saying that's Malik Willis necessarily. I know they only invested a third round pick in him, and third round investment in the quarterback position doesn't mean anything in terms of commitment. But Tannehill, middle of the pack in terms of efficiency this year, doing what the offense asks of him, in my opinion, but not elevating an offense that has 
things that desperately need to be elevated, a bad receiving core, a bad offensive line. I worry about them continuing to hang their hat. I think it's $27 million I'll have to pay him next year if they do agree to keep him as the quarterback. They're winning enough games to probably do that. Where are you at on Tannehill and maybe the decision Tennessee might have to make? I know there's larger sample, larger sample size to come. We need to see the rest of the season. But with Tannehill, how Tannehill has played so far, how Tannehill has played without A.J. Brown and objectively a bad receiving core, bad offensive line, where are you at with Ryan Tannehill right now in this decision that's kind of looming for Tennessee this offseason? I think T- Tannehill is like proof of how ridiculous quarterback discourse is. Like back in Miami, I always thought he was underrated. I, I thought people discounted him. I, I thought they didn't factor in enough of like what was going on around him enough. Then he goes to Tennessee and he obviously has this breakout year. He's, he looks like one of the top five quarterbacks in the league by stats, just throwing a bunch of play action. And I thought the hype, like it, the pendulum swung back too far in the other direction. And now I think he's playing the best football of his career right now. I think he's way better than he was two years ago when he was like top five in EPA and PFF grade and CPOE and all that. And people have kind of like forgotten about him. They're just like, don't really pay attention to the Titans. He's not putting up monster numbers. So it's not like a story at all, but he's been the same steady quarterback and he's like gradually gotten better. And I think this is the best version of him. The the, the thing is the Titans aren't anywhere close to competing for a championship. And Tannehill's on the wrong side of 30. He's going to be expensive to keep just because he has been that, that solid piece for them for four years or three years. So for me, it's like, yes, Tannehill is good. He's better than people give him credit for. I think he, he could be useful to a team that's already built to win, but he doesn't fit with the Titans timeline. And I think they almost have to move on from this season. The question is like, what, how, what kind of value can you get out of him in the off season? Can you tag and trade him? If that's the case, I think that's what they have to do. But I think you have to move on. Like, is Tannehill going to win a Super Bowl here? No. Goff, before you comment, to clarify the you know, the contract situation, his base salary next year is 27 mil, but they have an out, a potential out in the contract where yeah. they could essentially move on from him for between 18, you know, if they trade him before June 1st, it's 18.8 in dead cap. If they trade him after June 1st, it's about 9 million in dead cap. Trade so like there's, there's an opportunity to move on from Ryan Tannehill after the season. It's not as clear and cut as like wiping their hands with him, as I said, but still, there is a potential out in this contract after the season. And I don't think, like, I think you, you summed it up perfectly, is that, it's not that he, it's not that he's not talented. It's not that he can be an above-average starter in the right situation. He just doesn't fit the timeline for this Titans team. He doesn't fit the timeline uh, for, for when they're going to have enough resource to to build around him again. Or some of these young guys start. To it's pull, a Derek you know, Carr situation. It's a Derek Carr true, situation. True. It's, it's, and there's uh, a bunch of those running around the NFL where you, you've got an above-average to good quarterback, and it might be a limiting factor once you build up a roster. We've seen it in years past with Andy Dalton when he was a Bengal and Matt Schaub and guys like that with the Texans. Yeah. It's like is, if your quarterback is your limiting factor, then do you move on or do you continue to limit yourself by taking a step back? I want to ask you about the Arizona Cardinals. Anybody can score on the New Orleans Saints, right? And that's the get-right juice is the Saints defense and DeAndre. Andre Hopkins coming back. How have you consistently graded and broken down Kyler Murray's performances um, in, in, in absence? And I know it's hard to separate, but separating Cliff Kingsbury, like what is Kyler Murray right now in Steven Ruiz's head as a quarterback? It's so hard to do because you see the limitations each party puts on the other one. Like Cliff, I don't think Cliff is a great play caller, but he does produce opportunities for Kyler Murray to push the ball downfield. And sometimes Kyler Murray just doesn't take them. And it's frustrating to watch. It's kind of like a Russell Wilson situation. But then at the same time, you could put that on coaching. You could put that on development. You could, 
like Cliff doesn't do enough to help Kyler Murray is what I would say. So it's kind of like a chicken or egg situation. I would really like to see what Kyler Murray would look like with a real NFL coach who can put together a real NFL passing game. But right now for Kyler, I, I think he, he has the talent. And if you have the traits, that's enough for me. That's where I like, I've simplified my process in evaluating quarterbacks. If you can make all the throws and you can create out of structure and you're like, not a bad processor. I don't think Kyler Murray's like a bad quarterback when it comes to going through his reads and reading the defense and all that, then I think you can make it with the right talent and the right coach around you. So I'm not giving up on him. If I I'm no, I'm ready to give up on cliff Kingsbury, but I think <laughs> Kyler is still a top 10 talent at the position. And I wouldn't be surprised if he has at least one season where he's, gets himself in the MVP conversation. Not now, obviously, but in the, in the future, if he gets the right pieces around him. Steve, I always enjoy this part of the podcast, not more than when it's just me and Jason ripping it up because we make funny the entire time. I don't know if you listen to the first parts of the show, but it's literally just joke after joke after joke about Steve Ruiz. But the next time I bring you on, I got to look at more of your public pre-draft takes because if there is this, there is this clamor, <laughs> this is this clamor that you just stick to your pre-draft takes. I might have to take a hunt here, take a look at what, at what, what you're backing. But Ruiz, really appreciate the time. Big shout out oh, to Steven, our- Rocky. Pre- <laughs> 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 our, our, big, big shout out to our producer stepping in for Carlos Eduardo. Also shouts to to Arjuna Ramgopal and Connor Nevins. This is the Power Ranker Show. Make sure you tune in every Tuesday. But other shows on this feed are also fantastic. The Island with Nora Princiati, The Scramble with Shield Kapadia. It is a phenomenal feed. Make sure you listen to every episode on the Ringer NFL Show. Until next time, Steve Ruiz, Jason Goff, Austin Gale, the Power Ranker Show on the Ringer NFL feed.